Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. I was down at the game last night. Had Blue Jay Central TV pregame. Uh, so did some media stuff, but then went and sat uh, with friends in seats to watch the game. And I'll tell you, on a night that there is a game three of the NBA Finals, the new era of baseball where the Toronto Blue Jays can turn in a game that is two hours and five minutes long, it's appreciated. I like baseball a lot. Most days, I'm not going to complain about being at the park for three hours, three plus hours. More baseball is just baseball. On the night of an NBA Finals game, though, it was nice to be able to get home uh, for halftime. It's also nice that you got home for halftime coming off of uh, a really good Blue Jays win. They win three to two. That's the second game they've taken from this series. So they've locked in at least a split against the Houston Astros here in their four game set. Continues a stretch of, you know, they coming into this one. They were 10 and three winning series against non-divisional opponents. Uh, that could potentially be 11 and three now or 10, three and one, but either way, taking care of business against teams that you are competing with for potential wildcard spots. It's a good step in the right direction within that three, two win. I mentioned how quick it was. Chris Bassett went eight innings, throwing just 81 pitches. That is literally, you have to go back to Mark Burley for the last time. The Jays had a game go that go that quickly. And then you would have to go back to Halliday for the last time. Someone got that deep into the game, that pitch efficiently. Now it's a little hard to actually capture that because most guys who only need 81 pitches over eight innings, get the pitch the ninth. So when we query, Hey, what are the most efficient eight inning games? Uh, a little bit of selection bias. Cause most of them get to do the ninth. Chris Bassett did not get to do the ninth. We'll talk to some of our guests today about that decision. Part of what went into that decision was that Jordan Alvarez was due up. It was a one-run game, and Jordan Alvarez has four career home runs off of Chris Bassett, including a big one earlier that same game. But Jays win 3-2. Bo hits a monster of a home run off of that nasty Renel Blanco slider in the fourth inning. Brandon Belt. It's uh, I mean, it wasn't a no doubter in terms of the distance it traveled, but he knew right off the bat. He didn't flip that bat. It, it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't the level of Will Benson and the Cincinnati Reds last night. But you see the replay. You see the look on his face. You see the quick drop of the bat. Belt knew he got all of that one. So that's two solo shots for the Jays. You've got the two run homer from Jordan Alvarez on the other side of things. And then in the seventh, Dalton Varshall walks. He had a very good game in terms of doing the little Varsho things, got it going on the base paths a little bit, drew that walk. Um, he didn't come up with the catch, but he ran like full speed with a good leap right into the wall, try, trying to capture one uh, in the ninth as well. Kiermaier walks and move him along. And then Alejandro Kirk, who the days of this catcher getting actual true days off are, are done. He's now played 16 of the last 19 days in some form or another. Alejandro Kirk comes in, pinch hit RBI single to put the Jays ahead in the seventh. Had they added some insurance, could have seen Chris Bassett going the ninth. As it stood, it was a one-run game, and Jordan Alvarez uh, was looming. So Bassett's line finishes with two earned over eight innings, only four hits allowed, didn't walk a batter. We talked yesterday with Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs about, um, you know, some of the, at the one-third marks, the expected results versus the actual results uh, with some of the pitcher component stats right now. And one of the things that was on those lists, we didn't get to go deep on it was basically those numbers. When we, when we get into what is your first strike percentage, how often are you pitching in the zone? How effectively are you pitching with three balls or with two strikes? Chris Bassett had kind of an artificially high number of walks so far this season. 
zero walks yesterday. When you throw 10 pitches per inning, <laughs> I don't know how you'd even uh, fit a walk in there anyway. Uh, also struck out five. Bassett also sharing the story that um, his last start Friday. So obviously he throws seven and two thirds shutout against the Mets flies back to Toronto because his wife's in labor. Uh, their child is born. Everyone's happy and healthy. And then he reveals yesterday that by Sunday morning, he was back at Rogers center throwing a bullpen session with Danny Jansen uh, because yeah, you don't want to face this Houston Astros team uh, without having done your, your between starts work. So um, that's a fun little wrinkle. Speaking of Danny Jansen, he was running the bases yesterday. He's headed to AAA for a rehab assignment. There is some hope he could join the Jays as soon as Tuesday when that series starts against the Baltimore Orioles uh, on the road. So that's a, that's a positive there. Alejandro Kirk uh, hanging in there playing just about every day. And then of course, Tyler Heineman with, with a nice little piece of a uh, piece of work there yesterday as well. Drawing another walk, obviously catching a, a good game and handling things for Chris Bassett uh, behind the dish. Uh, we got a loaded show today. We're going to talk to Chris LaRue momentarily here. June Lee of ESPN, and you know him from around the horn as well. He'll join us at 1030. Eduardo Perez of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Um, Dan Schulman's broadcast partner on ESPN Radio for last year's World Series. Uh, I've got a story to share about that. He's going to join us around 11. Our pal Keegan Matheson uh, coming on around 1125 to round out the show. So a lot to get to here. Of course, uh, some further thoughts on, on the Alec Manoa situation, but much more on the positive side, of course, uh, Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett in back-to-back days give you 15 innings of tremendous, tremendous work in the rotation. We'll see tonight if Jose Barrios can keep that going. He'll go opposite a man who's maybe the Cy Young front runner in the American League right now. Now, Kevin Gosman's going to have something to say about that. Garrett Cole, Shane McClanahan, all those guys will. But Framber Valdez has arguably the best numbers of any starter in the American league right now. He owns a two sixteen ERA. Uh, he doesn't walk anybody and the Jays haven't, uh, haven't done particularly well against elite left-handed pitching so far this year. So we'll set all of that up as well. Uh, but right now to talk about last night a little bit, it's Chris LaRue of Sportsnet, former major leaguer, former Japanese league player, former team Canada world baseball classic player, Chris, uh, welcome back to the city and welcome to the show, man. How are you? What's up, Blake? I'm good. I'm just uh, I'm, I'm just uh, recuperating from these last couple of games. They've been pretty great. They have been. Uh, what a, what a couple of games for you to get uh, in your return to the booth. So you you had done a little bit of radio with us at Sportsnet in like 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, how does it feel to to be back in the in the broadcast booth next to Ben Wagner? Well, it, it actually it feels it feels like I never left which is, which is interesting because it's been three years almost. I mean, life, life flies. Uh, I've been in LA for the last couple of years and I've been watching an absurd amount of Dodgers games. So it's good to be back watching blue Jays games full time. Um, but yeah, it's great. It's great to be back. It's great to be covering blue Jays again. And, uh, it's good to be on your show, Blake. Jay. So, uh, what is it called? Jay's plus Jay's talk plus. Yeah. So there's Jay's talk like Jay's pre and post game. Plus. And then we just like, you Got know, it. like OPS plus or, or WRC plus or something like that. You yeah. just throw a little plus symbol yeah, on yeah. it. Yeah. Let's everyone know that this show is exactly league average is what that, uh, what that little <laughs> plus there is for. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, so you have gotten some, uh, some pretty good games here uh, to start the series. Obviously the, the Manoa one on Monday, maybe not the best, but Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett on back-to-back days, turning in just about 
the best couple of games you could ask for starters to give your bullpen a rest, to give you a chance to win. Um, man, how impressed are you by the steadiness and reliability those two guys have been able to give the rotation at a time when their presumed ace hasn't been able to? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's um, it's an interesting time for Toronto because everybody's being so hard on Alec. I've been through similar situations as, as him where you have success for a certain amount of time and then you just absolutely lose it. So I feel... I feel terrible for him. I feel terrible for his family because everybody's probably feeling the pressure right now. Um, I don't know if he's left Toronto yet, but it's, uh, it's, it's such a, it's such a humbling game. Baseball, baseball is so humbling. If you don't, if you don't work, look, look and I, I'm going to preface this with, I don't know if you worked hard in the off season. I don't know what his workout regimen was. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if he's tired. I don't know anything about that. I haven't talked to Alec about any of those things. But if you if you do decide to take it easy in the off season and not work as hard and you become complacent and if you are hurt and you're not telling anybody and if you are tired and you're not telling anybody, then this happens. It doesn't matter how good you are. So I, I really hope that, that Alec figures it out and he can he can come back and and help this team be the World Series champions that I think they can be. Looking at this roster and looking at the starting rotation, <laughs> minus Bowden Francis, hmm. I think this is a starting rotation that can can win a World Series. I, I, I looked at the Houston Astros, and and that's a team that is probably top three or four when you look at World Series contenders. And the Blue Jays are as good, if not better, than that team as a whole. So, and that's without Alec Manoa. That's with a fifth starter that nobody knows who it's who it's actually going to be. Is it going to be Lucas Giolito or 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 Shane Beaver or whoever? Um, Shai Davidi was talking about that yesterday. Nobody knows, right? If it's yeah. Bowden Francis for the rest of the year and he posts a five for the rest of the year, that's that's okay, right? Because these other four guys, these other four guys are doing so well. Kevin Gossman. Is, is has just been absolutely insane. If if I was going to vote for for a Cy Young today, he might be third or fourth on that list. And and Chris Bassett is probably in my top ten after last night. Hmm. So um, the Blue Jays are looking good. I know that they weren't good for those for those eleven games in in May when everybody thought the sky was falling. <laughs> But I think that they, they've righted the ship and and things are things are on the right track now. Well, that's it's been two years in a row. So I do a lot of, of basketball stuff and some Leaf stuff for us as well. It's been two years in a row where it seems like the sky is falling in May right as Raptors and Leafs wrap up. So Jay's Talk Plus starts back up again. So I just get to hit the ground running with, oh, no, everything's a disaster. Yeah. Um, with respect to Manoa, though, I'm curious. I, and I do want to talk more of the positives with with Bassett and Gosman. But with respect to Manoa, you know, we've heard the, the talking points now. Now that he's going to go down to Dunedin, they're going to have him do a, a, what they're calling an intake bullpen at the pitching lab, and they're going to evaluate kind of where his pitches are at and, and things like that. Um, what would that process be like for you mentally? Like, like you're going in there, they've got a couple of these, you know, the Rapsodo or Trackman or whatever the camera is, and they're evaluating your grip and the spin on your pitches. Uh, like, you'd almost feel a little bit like. Uh, an experiment subject, I, I think to some degree, um, how would you take that process? Like what would the mental side of that part of it be like for you? Do you think? Um, I think it's depressing, you know, coming from coming from an all-star game, uh, a third place in the Cy Young boat. And 
I mean, a career two and a half. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but the guy's been incredible over the last two years. So, so to be sent down to a pitching lab, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a weird thing to call it, but <laughs> to be sent down to a pitching lab and to, to have to work on, on things and, and essentially start from scratch Oh, so it's it's just humbling, and and I hope that he can take this time and and really figure out who he is as a pitcher. And and I'm gonna say this, but like I said before, I'm not exactly sure. But watching him over the last eight weeks ish, I'm almost 100% sure that he's just fatigued from the 200 innings he threw last year, the 110 innings he threw the year before. And he hasn't got sufficient rest in between, in between October of last year and February of this year, and he's and his arm is just like, what is happening? I've never thrown this many innings. His body is just his body is fatigued. You can tell based on his velocity, which has dropped quite a bit. I think it's about two or three miles an hour um, less this year than it was last year. His slider is nowhere near as sharp as it was last year, and to me. Those are indicators of, of a large amount of fatigue. So I hope that he goes down there and he not only tries to figure out what is wrong mechanically, but he also takes two weeks to just literally relax. Go to the pool, go to your house hmm. in Miami, go to, uh, go to a movie, just kind of forget about Toronto and forget about baseball. I know that's impossible, but forget about baseball for at least at least ten days, right? He he just needs he just needs to to reset everything. He needs to he needs to just relax. And I think that that's the biggest thing. He's not hurt. He wasn't he wasn't complacent in the off season. I'm he he. he Sure, the confidence is lacking at this point, but but I'm not even looking at that. I'm just looking at pure stuff, and his stuff is just not the same as it was last year, and that is directly from fatigue or an injury. And I'm almost 100% sure that he's not injured. So it's it's in my opinion, it's just fatigue. Yeah, and there's also the element you you just laid out the innings totals, and they're kind of bonkers, right? Like almost 200 innings last year as a 24 year old in your first full season, and you even go back. He's one of the guys that developmentally he lost that 2020 season to ramp up his innings, and before that, I, he had thrown 119 innings in 2019 across like college and the minors, but before that, he was only a part time starter too. He'd been you know a reliever for West Virginia a little bit too. So so some I, I definitely think there's something to that to the work workload and how quickly uh, that had to ramp up because I mean, almost a victim of your own success in that they've got to throw you that many innings. You're so good uh, right away. Last night, you could have made the case for Chris Bassett to throw more innings. He threw 81 pitches to get through eight. Of course, he gave up that two run shot to Jordan Alvarez, but He'd only allowed four hits total, hadn't walked a guy. He was massively efficient, a ton of weak contact. In fact, I think two of the hits he gave up actually hit him on their way to finding little holes. There there was almost nothing other than the Alvarez moment, but it's a one-run lead, and Jordan Alvarez, who had homered earlier that game, who has four career home runs off off Bassett as it is, is due up in the ninth. What did you think of the decision to hand the ball to Romano in that spot instead of letting Bassett try to close out the game and risk facing Jordan Alvarez a fourth time? So 
I was kind of torn because I love complete games. I, I Roy Halladay was my favorite pitcher growing of up. Of course. He threw a million complete games, right? Um, so I was torn. And in the new age of pitching, facing a, facing a lineup for the fourth, fourth time is just asking asking um, for trouble to be just hit hard. Yeah. Um, so when I saw Jordan, when I saw Jordan starting to warm up and walk around and move around in the in the in the bullpen, I understood. I understood what was happening. I understood that 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 the Blue Jays coaching staff didn't want Bassett to to face Jordan Alvarez, especially at a, in a one run one run game, um, a fourth time. But selfishly, and and from that pitcher starting starting pitcher's mindset. I know that Chris Bassett wanted to go out there. He threw 81 pitches. I mean, 81 pitches is nothing. He threw 117 pitches, I think, a couple starts before that. And so he could he could essentially – I made a joke to Ben last night during the broadcast. I said, Chris can essentially – if this game stays tied, he can throw 10 innings. Yeah. Which is, which is, a, which is absurd, but he probably could have if the game, if the game had stayed tied. Um, but I, I, I trust Jordan. I think he's coming back around. He, he, was, he had a, a couple – a couple of outings here in, in May that weren't weren't up to his standards, and I know that he's hard on himself, and he and he works really hard to to be the best closer that he can be. And I'm actually really excited that that not only is the starting rotation starting to come around, and actually they're not starting to come around; they have come around, um, but the bullpen is is starting to be locked down as well. And Jordan's a huge part of that. So I don't like skipping. I don't like I don't like taking a complete game away from a starter. But in last night's case, I think it was the right thing to do. So speaking of your love for complete games, Roy Halladay had 67 in his career. Do you know how many the active leader has? <laughs> oh, I don't. I, I mean, Chris Bassett has two complete game shutouts, right? I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but I so, would say, yeah, go ahead. I would say 20. 25 Adam Wainwright and Clayton Kershaw 25. both have 25, but that's it. And Halliday had 67 wow. and Wainwright's been pitching for like 300 years. It's uh, it's pretty yeah. remarkable. And they're, they're actually, and they're actually very similar pitchers too. Yeah. They, they, uh, they have that strong sinker ball and curve ball. So that's, that's actually kind of um, a shock to me that Wainwright doesn't have more. I forgot he was even pitching. Still. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh he's got 20. He hasn't thrown one in a little bit here, but uh, yeah, he's got 25 and him and Kershaw are the active leaders. So long way from holiday. I guess this is uh I guess this is going to be a pro labor question, I guess. Cause you know uh, you had to work less, but the Bassett getting that game done in about two hours, that was the quickest game since a Mark Burley start for the blue Jays. Are you enjoying the kind of quicker tempo to, to baseball that we're seeing this year? So I, as a fan, I love it as a broadcaster. I love it. <laughs> I love, um, I, yeah, well, I, I think everybody at this point, minus the beer sales people at Rogers center or major league baseball, everybody loves it. Um, but when I was playing, I was really slow. I, my tempo was terrible. Um, coaches would come out all the time and ask me to, to hurry up. Um, <laughs> So I was, I was almost like Alec Minow in that sense where I took the full amount of time allotted to me to be able to throw. So I don't know how I would re- react if I was still playing and I, I, I was forced to, to hurry up. I guess that brings me to another point is 
maybe the pitch clock is affecting Alec and, and, and maybe he needs to figure that out, but that's another, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably part of it. And certainly, you know, I would, I would believe it a lot if you were wearing down late in games or like by the fourth inning or whatever, but the pitch clock doesn't explain to me why the first inning has been so bad. You should still be real fresh uh, at at that point. Um, Question for you. This, this is kind of related to um, what Bassett said after the game. And so Bassett being asked about being taken out of the game, he, he says uh, kind of tongue in cheek. If you know me at all, I'll fight analytics until I die. But he acknowledges that Jordan Alvarez was due up and has some monster career numbers mm-hmm. against them. Um, when you were a pitcher yourself, and if you imagine yourself as a pitcher now, how hungry would you be to, to get some of that data stuff that can help a pitcher? I, I know sometimes it can be overwhelming or some people don't think that way or, or don't want the numbers. Where would you have been on it? Would you have been, you know, asking for that kind of stuff, trying to look at that stuff to find little edges? That's a, that's a tough question for me because I was, I was part of like my era was a little bit old school, a little bit analytical. Right. So, so I was probably, I thought it a little bit when I was, when I was coming up and I didn't quite understand it. I think a lot of, a lot of my friends didn't understand it a lot, especially scouts, the old school mm-hmm. scouts, like the old heads, man, they are still to this day. I, 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 I talk to scouts a lot and the old guys are still, they just don't understand it. They're super salty about it. So um, you, you get, you kind of get that mixture of, and Chris Bassett is, is, is kind of an older school mentality as well. So I understand where he's coming from, but when you get a, 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 a stat, that, that is factual, like these are your stats against this guy, against Jordan Alvarez. He's coming up for the fourth time. He hit a home run off you already today. Those are, those are, those are analytics that you can't ignore, right? There's certain things like spin rate and, and exit velocity and things of, the, of that. And sure, you can, you can buck that all you want. But when it comes to, nuts and bolts and black and white, like, like a Jordan Alvarez versus a Chris Bassett, you can't ignore that. And I think Chris Bassett was at that point last night where if he came out for the ninth inning, it would have been his fourth time through that lineup. It was the top of the lineup for the Houston Astros. They were up by one run. Do you want a fresh arm in Jordan Romano throwing 98 miles an hour? Or do you want a, a laboring Chris Bassett and you're just crossing your fingers that he gets through the ninth because we want him to get a complete game. Yeah. So I think Chris Bassett was like, okay, I understand this, but at the same time, the bulldog mentality that we all have, I want to finish this game and I want to get on, I, I want to get on Roy Halliday's level. Yeah, I get that. And the competitor in you would, would want to be out there for sure. And I'm sure there's like, like obviously a complete game is not like an analytics stat, but I would like to see a, a little one go up in the column there in the complete game. But yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I'm a little biased with this because I, I didn't play baseball at a high level. So I come to this from more of a numbers standpoint, but I think a lot of what you're getting at there is like some of it's a communication issue and how do you present this stuff or how do you get a guy curious about stuff that can help him versus like, you know, we were talking about being in the pitching lab and like, Hey, do this, do this, do this. This is what the, the numbers say this is what the cameras say well how do we get someone you know whether it's Bassett or, or 
uh, Bowden Francis after his first start here on Saturday or whatever, how do you get someone like that curious about what can help them uh, and how to how to kind of bridge that gap? And the the hitter versus pitcher thing is like that goes back. There's a, a there's a scene in Major League or Major League Two where Bob Uecker is like, well, he's like a hundred for a hundred and one against him or whatever. Like we that that stuff goes back. So um, that stuff's not not uh, quite as uh, as tough, I would hope. So Jose Barrios yeah. on the hill tonight against Framber Valdez. As you mentioned, Gosman and Chris Bassett would both be high on your hypothetical Cy Young ballot. I'd have to imagine Framber Valdez is up there as well. 218 ERA, really not walking anyone. What is the mentality, you know, for I, I know you were a pitcher, but you, you've been in clubhouses, you, you've been in the meetings and stuff like that. When you're going up against a, an opposing pitcher who has been that good and has cut his walks that to that degree where... Like, do you start to think, ah, being patient, you know, I, I don't know. He's not really walking anyone. We got to be aggressive and try to jump all over this guy. What's the mentality against a guy on the level Valdez is right now? Oh, it's tough. I think the best thing that you can do is, is just have a game plan. And I, and I, and I talked about this with about, about Vlad um, at length over the last three days, is I think his biggest problem was going up there without a game plan and going up there and just kind of swinging, right? Like he, he's looking at Bo, who can essentially hit anything <laughs> at, in, in any count, in any location, but Vlad's not that guy. So you have to go up there with a game plan, with a location, with a pitch in mind, and if, my, if, if I want to hit a slider, if that's in my head, I'm not, I'm not wavering. I'm not, I'm not getting out of that, that pitch location and that, and that pitch until I have two strikes. So if I'm hitting a slider middle away, I'm looking for that pitch with especially, and, and I think you do that with any hitter or any pitcher, but especially a guy like Framber Valdez, who's got to be top two in Cy Young voting right now. Um, he's, he's just a tough, he's a tough, tough pitcher. He, um, his whip is about one. So, you know, he's not going to walk anybody. I think, I think you just, you just go up there with a plan and I don't know what that plan is, but I think you, you, you just focus on one pitch, one location. And sometimes you just have to tip your cap, especially a guy like Framber Valdez, who's just disgusting. And, uh, and then you kind of see, see where it goes from there. If, if, and then once you get two strikes, all bets are off. You just kind of fight and, and try to get to first base. Yeah, Valdez, another guy in that kind of, you know, Halliday, uh, Wainwright mold you mentioned with the heavy sinker that, that keeps the ball on the ground a lot, lets him work pretty efficiently. And it's funny, you're using the example of, you know, if you go up looking for slider, uh, huh, I wonder which plate appearance from yesterday might be top of mind for you. Bo Bichette again looking for that slider from Blanco and uh, putting it into the left center <laughs> field seats. Uh, Chris LaRue, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Been enjoying uh, hearing you on the call with Ben Wagner and great to meet you yesterday. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Chris LaRue of Sportsnet, former major leaguer, of course, former team Canada player in the world baseball classic. He's been doing this series alongside Ben Wagner on Sportsnet 590, the fan and the Sportsnet radio network. Uh, you can check him out again tonight. I believe he's doing Saturday's game uh, as well on the weekend. Uh, so you can continue to hear him alongside Wagner. I think Ben Nicholson Smith has the Friday and Sunday games uh, this weekend. So you get a little bit, a little taste of everything. And then next week, it's all me all the time. So uh, get ready for that uh, as well. We're going to take a break. We come back there. Uh, were some baseball games canceled yesterday. Postponed rather is the appropriate term. Cause they'll get played at some point. In fact, the Yankees postponed their game due to the air quality and set up a, 
doubleheader for today that's supposed to start at four o'clock. And the air quality in New York and here is still very, very bad. Uh, I wonder if those games also get postponed or or something like that because all the weather warnings and things like that are are still out there. The Jays actually closed the dome yesterday. I got down there around four o'clock. The dome was closed. It was still like kind of smoky inside just from what the air quality had been outside. And it was still like that leaving the park uh, a little after nine o'clock. So curious to see how that goes. Um, But there is also... In addition to that, I mean, we're not going to bring on a weatherman. We're going to bring on June Lee of ESPN and Around the Horn. He is on the Yankees beat pretty regularly. He's a Boston guy. He's uh, one of the guys we turn to when it comes to state of the American League East. He's also someone who's gotten to know Bo Bichette pretty well from, from writing feature stories about him over the years. So we'll kind of whip around the American League East. And you know what? I'm going to shoehorn some Cincinnati Reds talk in there, too, because last night was so much fun on the Reds standpoint. June Lee joins us next as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Fun Jay's game last night. Fun NBA Finals Game 3 last night, which, thanks to Chris Bassett working so quickly, we were all able to get home on our couch for the second half of. Also very, very fun last night. Cincinnati Reds are a blast, but they also might be kind of good. June Lee of ESPN and Around the Horn joins us now. June, I saw you uh, retweeting some stuff about Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, obviously, the big Will Benson moment last night. Are the Cincinnati Reds finally back to relevance? Well, I, I don't know if they're totally back yet, but they're at least in a place where you have to pay attention to them because their future is starting to to pop up. And we're seeing guys like, obviously, Ella De La Cruz, but also Hunter Green is starting to mm-hmm. maybe find more of a footing in the major leagues as well. Like, he's got a sub-4 ERA this year. He's starting to add more secondary pitches to his arsenal that actually look like they can be a, a big factor on the mound. And so when you look at kind of those crumbles, I think it's hard to not at least be interested in what Cincinnati has going on and that maybe this whole rebuilding project that's been going on for as long as I can remember since like the Ken Griffey Jr. days, I guess, <laughs> uh, is starting to maybe pay off. So I, I kind of feel like our, our friend Sarah Langs of MLB.com helped build this team because Ellie De La Cruz is obviously Mr. Statcast when it comes to hard hit balls. Hunter <laughs> Green is Mr. Statcast with the fastball velocity uh, among starters. De La Cruz, though, I, I know that that was an absolute shot yesterday. Comes in second, though. Vlad still has the hardest hit home run of the StatCast era. Um, you've also got, you know, your Aaron Judges, your Giancarlos in, in the mix there. Um, how how am I, obviously, like, we know a, a monster home run. When, when we see a monster home run, we can feel it. You can see the bat get thrown down. Um, the, the Reds broadcast did a tremendous job last night on, on De La Cruz and Benson's uh, home runs. Do you like when you see something like exit velocity for home runs, are you the type that like that's meaningless to you? Or do you like to kind of know, hey, that was the second hardest hit home run we've ever seen? I I, I like it when it's kind of at the extremes when we see like this is one of the hardest balls hit ever. I think that there's sometimes an over-reliance on uh, using StatCast data to contextualize and try to 
maybe justify the fact that the results aren't showing. Like, I, I hear more in press conferences these days with managers. It's like you look at the peripheral stats, and, you know, we we're hoping that the you know batting average on balls in play and all this other stuff, uh, hopefully that will eventually show up. Um, but when it push comes to shove, you need the results on the field. And so I think that there's kind of two ways to use the stat cast data. But I think when you are able to put things in historical context, especially with, like, balls that are hit extremely hard, like, obviously you can feel it kind of in your gut, and you can hear it with the, the sound off the bat. Uh, I love kind of contextualizing things historically. I wish we had more of this data historically, because I would love to see how, like, Babe Ruth's hardest hit ball compares to Aaron Judge or Carlos Stanton. Uh, but I do think that there's kind of this interesting way that, you know, the modern baseball team uh, is able to use StatCast data to try to spin, uh, you know, the perception of players one way or the other. Yeah, and Vlad's a, a good example of that. And so we'll start on, on Jays a little bit here. Vlad is always uh, one of the kings uh, of exit velocity and batted ball data and stuff like that. This year, like last year, there's a bit of a gap in between, um, you know, ex- what we'd expect and what has actually happened. Not that he's having a bad season, but there hasn't been a lot of home run power there. I, I know you do a lot on the AL East, being a Boston guy, being on the Yankees beat. Um, when you look around the American League East, the Jays have obviously been pretty good games in their own division aside. Um, how much does your belief in the blue Jays though, hinge on Vladimir Guerrero jr. Getting back to, you know, Vladimir Guerrero jr. Levels as a power hitter beyond just a contact hitter. Yeah, I think it's those two things. Actually, it's, it's Vladimir Guerrero jr. And whether or not he's able to kind of be that superstar guy that people have seen flashes of throughout the course of his career, uh, and whether or not that helps raise the ceiling of the Jays' offense, because I think just generally day to day, I'm I'm more confident in, in Bo Bichette, uh, just the way that he plays the game generally, and being more consistent offensively, and obviously like Alec Manoa going down to the Florida you know complex league, um, he's a guy who really helps raise the ceiling of this team. And you look at the Jays' rotation, right? Like you have Kevin Gosman, and he's been one a really great signing for Toronto since he's gotten there. Um, but you got a guy like Chris Bassett, Jose Barrios. Barrios hasn't been reliable over the course of the last couple of years. Obviously, he's pitched better this season. Um, but he doesn't have the ceiling of a guy like Alec Manoa. Uh, you know, and, and so what, when you have an ace-type guy there that Manoa has shown that he can be uh, in 2022, both of those two guys need to be successful, I think, help push this Jays ceiling into serious, kind of world series conversations, but until that happens, it's hard to kind of take them seriously in such a serious, in in such a big division uh, with with all these serious teams uh, between the Orioles and, and the Yankees and the Rays. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's its not a secret just how good that division is. The Jays seven games over 500, and they're in fourth, and they're almost 10 games back uh, of the division lead. Um, and that's with having, you know, gone, I think it's, 29 and 13 against non-division opponents or something like that at this point. You you really do need everything to be clicking in the American League East to, to be atop that. You mentioned Boba Shett. I know you did that big, it, it was a, a terrific feature on Boba Shett and kind of his mental approach to the game at the start of last year. And when you'd come on Jay's Talk Plus with us, we'd touch on it a little bit where Bo was at. Obviously a, a bit of a cold start to last year before he was maybe the hottest hitter in baseball over the last two months. He's basically been that guy for this entire season season 
so far. I'm getting it done at the dish. Some of the defensive metrics thinks he, think he's nudged uh, above average defensively at shortstop. E- even if not, you know, he's roughly average. He ranks third right now and wins above replacement among all position players. Uh, what have you seen with Bobachet? everything coming together, given where, you know, he was this time a year ago when you wrote that feature and, and all of the process stuff was there, but the results hadn't followed quite to this level yet. Yeah, I've actually had a couple conversations with Bo when he's come through New York about this exact topic. And part of it was at the beginning of last season, the Jays, even if they didn't admit it to the public, felt a lot of pressure about kind of the World Series expectations that this young team suddenly had around them and wanted to live up to those expectations. And guys were really tight. And I think that Bo was kind of symbolic of the kind of mental evolution that this team needed to go through. He basically told me that in August of last year, he basically accepted that everything that people were saying around around him uh, in terms of his potential and how uh, good this Jays team could be, you know, they were saying it for a reason. He just kind of had to accept it. I think there was a level of kind of imposter syndrome that he was going mm. through. And once he just kind of accepted that and he started swinging more freely at the plate, like he, he felt like as if he had gotten too selective in terms of his approach at the plate, um, he started to find the results. And he's basically told me this year that he basically accepted that he's good at baseball, that he's great at baseball, that people think he can be a superstar for a reason. And I think letting go of that and all the expectations that people have for him, that actually freed him up to be that superstar that people clearly see the talent for him to, to become throughout the course of his entire career. It's remarkable to hear that, that, you know, a second round pick, a guy who's a son of a major leaguer came up through baseball, was on top prospects list, has had, you know, at least some degree of major league success since the second he arrived in 2019. Uh, and who, who, you know, he's hit 300 in a, in a season. He's hit 25 home runs before, um, 29 home runs even to, to hear that that can still creep in at the highest levels is um, I think very interesting and certainly very relatable and just lets you know just how difficult a game baseball is uh, from the mental side. June, it can also be a difficult game from the physical side when you can't breathe. Um, the Yankees game that you were <laughs> supposed to cover got postponed yesterday. They're supposed to play two today, but the air quality there is still very, very poor based on the, the photos and, and the weather reports and things like that. Um, first of all, hope you're managing okay through that. Second, uh, do you expect to see Yankees White Sox baseball today? I think we we at least expect to see the first game start unless the air quality really degrades very quickly. Like when I look out the window today, uh, I can see the skyline of the city, which was not true as of like three or four o'clock yesterday, because they did play through uh, that, that, that smoke uh, in the first game of the the Yankees white Sox series. And I I talked to Lucas Giolito after that game, he obviously started for the white Sox, And he said that he felt relatively fine after that game. And that, uh, but the air quality kind of went to another degree yesterday in terms of how poor it was. Uh, And so I think that the, the league and the teams are all looking at the air quality index and talking to health experts to see how plausible it is to play today. I think that as long as like, fly, I think a big factor in all this too, is like as long as fly balls are kind of visible as pop-ups are visible. Um, that's something that also plays in from a health and safety perspective as well on top of, on top of the, the, the breathing aspect, obviously. Uh, I think I personally expect to see at least the first game start. And then I guess they'll be monitoring that throughout the course of the day. because We're trying to get two in. 
Yeah. Uh, you are no longer laughing at our big concrete tomb here that closes the, that the roof can close, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so not to be not to be like silly or, or glib about a very serious um, climate change thing and a very serious public health thing now with the air quality. But there is potentially like, let's say one of these games gets postponed or, or both of them get postponed. There is like for the Yankees specifically a little tiny silver lining in that they're missing games right now that will then get played later when Aaron Judge is back. Potentially um, Aaron judge going to the IL with his toe issue. I believe the Dodgers fence has also hit the IL and they've had to call up a triple a fence uh, to mend uh, that part of right field. Um, what are the, how do things trickle down for the Yankees with judge out right now? Our old friend, Billy McKinney, I know got called up. I can't imagine he's a, a huge part of the plan, uh, but what do the Yankees look like the next week or two as uh, judges toe gets back to health? I guess you'd call it. Oh, on the fence, I read today, I think on Twitter somewhere, that the part of the fence that Judge broke wasn't supposed to open. He slammed into it, and the hinges fell off the door, and that's why the door caved in, uh, which is, I think just speaks to how enormously strong Judge is. Um, but I, I think that the Yankees are kind of in a position where they're already grasping for straws and have been this entire season in terms of the health. Like, every time I go to Yankee Stadium, I feel like I'm writing a health update on the team because they've had so many guys at the injured list. Like, Nestor Cortez, his stint on the injured list going on a couple of days ago, that got overshadowed by Judge going on the injured list as well. Uh, and so this is a team that has really had to rely on its depth in order to get through this year. You know, they're relying on Anthony Rizzo to continue having a good season. Uh, he's been a little less good compared to what he has been over the course of last week or so. Harrison Bader is back on the injury list with a hamstring injury. They need guys like Anthony Volpe and DJ LeMahieu, who's hitting 240 this year. Anthony Volpe is hitting 191. Glaber Torres, they need guys like that to really take things up. And on top of that, John Carlos Den, uh, you know, he, he's played 16 games this year. You know, has a sub 300 OVP. They need guys like him to pick up as well. And then it's also relying on the depth of the roster. Josh Donaldson, hmm. Jake Bowers. Uh, they need guys like that to really pick things up. Uh, and they've managed so far this year. I mean, they are, you know, 36 and 26 right now. But uh, the, line, the, the lineup dynamic is so different without Aaron Judge because I was talking about this with guys the other day before Judge won the injured list. You know, when Judge is in the middle of that lineup, it changes the way that pitchers pitch to everyone else in the Yankees, uh, you know, line of one through nine because of how much of a factor he is and how much they don't want to, uh, you know, make a mistake there and judge and not having him in the middle of that lineup is going to change the way that pitchers approach uh, throwing to the Yankees. So it's a, it is a huge loss. It's hard to understand that. You, you mentioned Josh Donaldson being back now and he's had three games since he returned and all three of his hits have been home runs. Uh, four of his five hits on the season are home runs, actually. Um, where are we at in terms of, you know, obviously Josh Donaldson w went through it pretty good last year and he still ended up the season like overall about an average hitter at the plate. But we saw late in the year, he was really struggling to catch up to velocity. He was striking out more because he was cheating his swing a little bit to make sure he could stay on top of fastballs. Um, obviously the power is still there when you have four of your five hits as, as home runs on the year. Um, but in terms of where Donaldson is overall, um, I mean, he's 37 now. He, he's closer to 38 than he is 37. Where is Donaldson at in terms of how much he can actually contribute to this Yankees team the rest of the way? Yeah, I mean, I think that he's kind of the next guy that Yankee fans are willing to gang up on after Aaron Hicks. Careful, Aaron Hicks, is, Aaron Hicks is hitting like 400 with the Orioles now. He'd be really helpful with Aaron Judge's absence. Don't, uh, don't run another guy out of town to Baltimore. 
Yeah, well, I think part of that, too, is that Hicks was just, like, going through it oh, in yeah. terms of just the, the day-to-day stuff. Like, you, you could just see kind of with his body language in the clubhouse that, you know, that he was not having as good a time as he could have with, with being a Yankee. And I think that Donaldson has kind of been that second guy in waiting, kind of, I guess, fighting for that spot with, uh, with IKF, although IKF has been pretty good um, in, in the outfield, of course, the last couple of weeks. I think Donaldson's that next guy, and I think that if – you know, he continues to struggle at the play in the way that he has, um, you know, hitting 222, striking out a lot. Like, that is going to be a guy who's going to hear it from Yankee fans uh, more than anyone else on this roster because I think that if people look at him playing third base, uh, you know, still playing good defensively, relatively speaking, uh, but being kind of a, a hole in that lineup, especially in the second half of last year, and they view it as a huge part of why this team has not been able to achieve its championship aspirations. And uh, there's been calls for Ka- uh, Ka- Brian Cashman to, to find a better replacement for Josh Donaldson, and that hasn't happened yet. They seem to really believe that Josh Donaldson uh, has something left in the tank. Both Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone have said that on the record of, of course, the last six or six months or so. And so I, I think with all of that, um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how Donaldson actually sh- uh, faces up over the course of the last uh, or the next, you know, couple months or so just because uh, he already has a target on his back speaking of teams not able to reach their championship aspirations June I'd be remiss if I didn't have you on and ask you about the Boston Celtics and where you're at with them heading into the Uh, offseason I I know you're a big Celtics guy I gotta do I gotta sprinkle it in just a little bit obviously the heat you know in the finals that they've taken one off of Denver looks like last night's second half aside it's going to be a pretty fun and competitive series Um, but where are you at with with the Celtics and and the big decisions they face this offseason it's just frustrating to watch Kayla Martin come back down to earth and not look like the second coming Kobe Bryant. Shocker, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I look at the Celtics situation. There's been a lot of talk about whether or not to break up Jalen and Jason Tatum. And uh, I, I look at the possible trade options out there. There's been a lot of talk about like the number three overall pick from Portland and Anthony Simons. So getting like Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons, you know, best case scenario, one of those guys turns into you know, the all-NBA guy that Jalen Brown has turned into in terms of being capable of being uh, an all-defense all, all player and, and being a, a dynamic offensive scorer. Um, you know, there's the option of trying to go out and get Damian Lillard, uh, but he's in his 30s and is going to be paid, you know, $60 million into his mid-30s. I look at all of those options, you know, Paul George maybe. Like, I don't think that they're ha- they have the same upside as just keeping Jalen on the Celtics. He's 26 years old still. Uh, he's improved steadily year over year, which is, I think, something that has been understated by his development um, since he's gotten to Boston. And I still think that he's capable of getting better defensively, continuing to develop his handles, because they used to be on another level awful when he was a rookie hmm. in terms of just causing turnovers. Uh, and, and on top of that, like I think he is capable of, of developing that left hand um, and breaking up those two guys. Like It's the hard part to get a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown on a roster. The easier part is building up a coaching staff. Hiring Sam Cassell, I think, is a huge deal yeah. for Boston. Uh, and then you know, on top of that, building the roster around those guys. And I think the new CBA is going to make that a lot tougher, but a lot of teams are going to go through that. And most teams in the NBA, I think, would kill to have uh, rising superstars who are 25 and 26 years old. I think you have to continue running it back um, because how often do you get talent like that on a roster? No, and it's what the Jays are going to be dealing with with Bo and Vlad for the next couple of years, whatever the results in the in the playoffs. Uh, June Lee of ESPN. Uh, see you on Around the Horn sometime soon again, I'm sure. Uh, thanks for taking the time out this morning, man. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on, Blake. Stay safe out there. Uh, breathe, breathe easy if you if you can help it. June Lee of ESPN. Uh, we got a couple minutes before break here. We got we have a couple minor updates uh, around the Toronto Blue Jays that, that we can whip around. So um, I mentioned a little earlier, Danny Jansen had caught Chris Bassett's bullpen session over the weekend. He was running the bases yesterday. Sounds like he's ready for a AAA rehab assignment with an eye toward him potentially joining the team as soon as Tuesday in Baltimore. Mitch White continued his rehab uh, work slash you're just a triple a guy now until there's a roster spot for you uh he did a one and a third innings out of the pen clean yesterday that's nice um and then the the big one today from the minor league perspective is addison barger is off to join alec manoa in the florida complex league now if that sounds a, a little bit odd keep in mind that addison barger has been out for a good amount of time. It was April 28th when he last played. Uh, he had been off to a very, very poor start to the season with the Buffalo Bisons. And then something had clicked. And then, of course, as things happen, um, right as he was starting to heat up, he hits the injured list. Um, and, and there had kind of not been an update. Like April 28th was a, a good amount of time now, though. Uh, but Sam Dykstra of... MLB pipeline providing the update today that he's off to the Florida complex league to begin a rehab assignment um, to work through that elbow issue and start to make his way uh, back to AAA. He's a guy that over the last couple of weeks, maybe there would have been a spot for somewhere. I mean, being a left-handed bat makes it a, a little bit awkward, but as you had, you know, the Ernie Clements of the world uh, on the roster as Kevin Biggio at one point had that, that rough couple of weeks where the offensive numbers had bottomed out and there were some base running mistakes as well. He's, he's corrected since then. Um, Barger now probably becomes someone you focus on. Okay. How good can he look down the stretch? Because Matt Chapman, who's been so important to this team this year and last is a free agent at the end of the year. We know Aurelvis Martinez is potentially a third baseman since a lot of people don't like his glove at shortstop and he is hitting for a ton of power with a better approach at the plate this year. Batting average isn't quite there, though, but he's also at double A and he's only 22, whereas Barger's uh, 23 uh, going on 24 and has a little bit of triple A experience now. Also, you never know what's going to happen, potentially getting him back in the mix of triple A if something were to happen in the infield down the stretch. Uh, so always good to see one of your top prospects back on the mend. No Ricky Tiedemann update as of right now, though, but you take the couple positives that you can get. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Talk to Eduardo Perez of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. He was Dan Schulman's broadcast partner uh, for ESPN Radio during the World Series last year. I have a cool story off of that. Uh, I think it's a cool story anyway uh, that I will share as we uh, get to Eduardo in the next segment. As JSTOP Plus continues on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. A little Puerto Rico there for you to get you ready for Eduardo Perez. Uh, cool story about Eduardo Perez. So during the World Series last year, the Toronto Blue Jays obviously weren't in it. Uh, so I was down in Cuba for a couple of days. And Cuba is, is baseball crazy. First thing that most of the people 
they're asking me when they found out I'm from Toronto. Oh, Toronto Blue Jays, Toronto Blue Jays. In retrospect, I should have brought a bunch of Blue Jays gear down. And the, the Jays employed Lourdes Gurriel Jr. At the time, uh, he's obviously a popular figure there, him and his brother, Yuli. So uh, I'm sitting at the bar there one night and I'm listening to game two of the World Series on uh, my phone because they don't, in Cuba, they don't get American television and radio, but because of, you know, the internet agent and things like that. I was able to listen to the ESPN radio broadcast on my phone through other means, we'll say. Um, and I text Dan Schulman, who's doing the call on ESPN radio with Eduardo Perez. And I just text him like, hey, uh, like you you won't believe it. Like I'm down in, in Cuba and they're so like all the people there are like, you know, coming by and listening to chunks of the game because the Houston Astros had uh, three Cuban players last year and Jordan Alvarez, Yuli Gurriel and Aled Mestias. Uh, and so I texted Dan and, and I guess Dan had let Eduardo Perez know. Eduardo Perez, uh, his father, Tony Perez, who is a Hall of Famer, uh, was a Cuban-American. So uh, a popular figure in Cuba when it comes to baseball as well. And Eduardo Perez has called uh, a lot of baseball in like uh, for ESPN Deportes over the years and other uh, Spanish language channels. So Jordan Alvarez in the first inning of game two hits an RBI double. And Eduardo Perez does the call of the hit in Spanish and shouts out the listeners who are listening from Cuba with me. So, so you know, a handful of, um, you know, a couple bartenders and things like that. Uh, it was a blast. They got such a kick out of it. The call being in Spanish and then also, you know, through the the language interpretation um, that they got a shout out as well. Um, so I, that's something that I'm going to remember forever. Um, it was very, very cool to experience um, baseball down in Cuba as it is. My schedule didn't line up for getting to see a game down there, unfortunately. But I did like walk into the town at one point and got my my nephew, who's now two, and the glove almost fits him now. He hasn't quite grown into it yet, but like a, a little old school, um, like ba- basic leather uh, glove while I was down there as well. Um, it's also, it's funny, they they sell the, the Cuban national team jerseys just like in stores there like you like imagine going into a, a corner store here and there's a, there are team canada jerseys I, I guess you could do that at like a, a walmart or something like that um but it was a blast and it was really really cool to experience uh, the excitement around baseball in general there um but especially around that houston astros team that was in the world series um so when eduardo perez joins us uh, i will thank him for that he's gonna be on the call for sunday night baseball this week which is red sox yankees so I apologize if there was a, a little bit of Yankees talk in the last segment. There'll probably be a little bit in this one uh, as well. We'll talk to Keegan Matheson uh, a little later in the segment uh, too. Again, last night was, uh, I mean, shoot, if you are a Toronto Blue Jays fan and you are of a certain age, you almost definitely grew up on Roy Halladay and Roy Halladay is your favorite or at least at the very least one of your favorite uh, Toronto Blue Jays and pitchers ever. And of course, there were the Mark Burley years where Burley was just so lethally efficient time and pitch wise as kind of a a pitch to contact and and force weak contact early in counts, guys. Chris Bassett doing the throwback with just 81 pitches to get through eight innings was and and the game only being a hair over two hours. It was a it was a pretty cool uh, game last night. While we wait for Eduardo, we're going to take some texts from from the text line. You can send those into uh, two 590, 590. Uh, Kevin from Toronto asks, uh, why was Biggio attempting to steal second with two outs in the ninth? Uh, Kevin, my guess is that they put a premium on the 
insurance run, not just for the insurance run, but had they gotten a two-run lead, I think they would have let Chris Bassett try to close it out. He was only at 81 pitches, and the big fear was that Jordan Alvarez, with one swing of the bat, could tie the game. Four career home runs off Chris Bassett, had a home run off of him earlier in the game, was going to face him for the fourth time in that game. So I think there the thinking is, well, if you can somehow put together an extra run, then you have the wiggle room to let Bassett try to close it out. If one of the first two batters gets on, then you yank him for Romano and Romano's ready. If the first two batters are out, then if Jordan Alvarez hits a solo shot, you have the insurance to let that happen. I think uh, a more pressing issue is that Kevin Biggio has been used a lot as this team's uh, kind of pinch runner extraordinaire a, a lot of times for, for Brandon belt. And, and there are faster guys on the team, but we hear a lot about Biggio's ability um, as a base runner. He's now two for four running the bases. That's not a, uh, that's not anything you're going to get too upset about it. It's too small a sample of course, um, but it hasn't been all that impressive. Um, you know, obviously these are things that you're not going to get a ton of read on. You're not going to get to see a, a ton of opportunities to see, Hey, are, are you taking the extra base? Things like that. Um, he has not graded out particularly well by some of the base running metrics we have available to us. Those aren't like anything to, to live and die by, especially when you're coming in as a, as a pinch runner a lot of the time. But in addition to being two for four stealing bases, uh, he's only being able to take the extra base, which is, you know, taking third on a single from first, taking home on a, on a single from second and so on uh, 33% of the time, which again, there's not very much sample there, but that's a little bit low for a guy that you'd expect. So, um, you know, anyway, to answer your actual question, I think the insurance run was valuable there uh, to them. But yeah, you can quibble with whether you you want to steal in that case. It, it's a it's a bit of a, a preference thing. Uh, AJ from Brampton asks, uh, if I were the Blue Jays GM, would I made it, make a trade for Chapman and Barlow from the Royals or should they focus on starting pitching? Um, I mean, I'm always a fan of adding additional bullpen help. I, I think I've been pretty clear in recent years and heading into this year and even so far this year with the Blue Jays bullpen performing pretty well that you are going to need more swing and miss stuff at the back end of this bullpen. Bullpen depth is great, but when you get into a playoff series, especially a wild card series where it's best two out of three and every single out matters so much as we saw last year, you need more back end stuff. Um, Scott Barlow certainly fits the bill. The Royals, I don't know. They have they have another year of control on him, but he already makes five point three million. He'll, he'll get more in arbitration next year, so maybe they're they're open to dealing him. Um, he hasn't had the best of seasons from an ERA perspective, but he's at a career high strikeout rate. I, I think there's there's certainly something there where you could put him in alongside Swanson to back up Romano. I personally don't have any interest in Araldis Chapman, given what his uh, off field history is like. Um, I, I just don't think that culturally and I, I just don't see it as being a fit. I don't think it's something, a path you want to go down. Uh, it's also worth noting that he's uh, bounced around a, a bunch and usually there's, there's a reason for that. Uh, and in, in addition to that, if you want to just focus on uh, the merit of it, he walks a, a boatload 
of guys. And if the stuff ticks off even a little bit, um, that could be trouble. He had a 446 ERA last year. That wasn't uh, that wasn't a mirage. That that actually happened. He's back below three this year, but the the walk issues persist, and um, there is certainly some evidence that he's gotten a little fortunate with not a single fly ball that he's allowed leaving the park yet. Mostly, though, that's one that I don't think in this city with this fan base and with how you want to operate as a team culturally and organizationally. Um, someone with that history, I just don't see as being a fit really. Um, the someone who didn't sign their text and please uh, text uh, sign your text so we can, we can shout you out. Um, the silence on Ricky Tiedemann is starting to make it seem like he's more interested than expected. I wouldn't say that. I think the Addison Barger news, like they're having not been an update since April 28th. And now it being, Oh, he's headed for a rehab assignment. I think that just kind of tells you they're not going to update us on minor league guys when they're, you know, I'd assume Barger and Tiedemann both when they hit the IL went to Dunedin to work on their stuff and be in the complex and the lab and things like that. I think they just don't want to share very much with us. Um, uh, Brian in Waterloo says he's seen games in Cuba, the Dominican Republic and Tokyo. It's a super experience. All three. Yeah. I, I really want to do it. Dominican winter league is something high on my list. Brian, uh, I, I hope I get the chance to do that. And, and yeah, unfortunately my dates didn't quite line up in Cuba, but it seems like it would be uh, it would be a blast on top of, yeah, I, I've heard terrific things about Japan, about seeing games in Korea as well, where it's more of a European soccer style and there are chants and songs and things like that. Um, Riley in Edmonton asks if we're in a place to call Bichette a good defender. He's no longer scared of balls being hit to shortstop. I think it's reasonable. Um, a lot of the metrics we can look at say that at worst, Bichette is an average shortstop defender. And given what he does with the bat, I think you can be pretty confident that uh, it's a, it's a very worthwhile uh, thing to have Bichette at that position. If he can be even an average defender, give me one second here. Excuse me. I had to sneeze uh, again. The issue of doing a solo show. Uh, there's no moment to sneeze. So yeah, with Bichette, uh, a lot of the metrics say, you know, he's, he's average to slightly above average, um, which is uh which is good when your bat plays that well at that position. Uh, Sandy in Hamilton uh, asks, how wild is it that after using all but three bullpen guys on Monday to cover eight and two thirds innings, you only need three relievers total over your next two games. Gosman and Bassett are dogs. The bullpen's fresh for tonight. It's a great point, Sandy uh, Bassett is a dog by name as well. The hound on the mound, of course. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty tremendous. And, and you now head into the final game of the series where you have a chance to take three of four um, from. It's a, you have a chance to take three or four from the Houston Astros, a, a team you're ostensibly fighting with in the wild card race. Uh, with a, a pretty fresh pen here. Uh, we were going to get to Eduardo Perez. We're actually going to flip the schedule a little bit. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com and BlueJays.com joins us now. Eduardo will join us in the next segment a little later in the show. Uh, Keegan Matheson, a little later than we normally have you on. Uh, are we disrupting the like the early the early lunch beverage for you here? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. No, it's it's a quiet morning over here. I. Uh... Given that the uh, once we get to the ballpark, it's just noise and activity for eight hours. So my mornings are uh, extremely calm, very zen over here. Nice. Uh, how how goes the lobbying to get sent to Florida to do the Manoa comeback story? You and I joked about it when we ran into each other at the game yesterday. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think there is a legitimate story to be done there at some point, And we know your affinity for the state of Florida. 
I am at the point now where I almost forget spring training, which is 42, 44 days straight in Florida, which is a health hazard for a man, both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I think I'm far enough away from it that I can re-embrace it. Um, g- given that, that being said, last week in Tampa, the, uh, let's call it a 100-meter walk from my car to the front door of the Trop almost killed me. So I'm, I'm glad that we're in Florida in April, or sorry, in March, in February. Right now, I don't think I'd make it, but uh, that's probably where the, the biggest baseball story uh, with the Blue Jays is. So I might, have to, I might have to toughen up here in the next month. So it's probably going to be a couple weeks before we hear real updates on, on Manoa. And obviously, the comeback is one they're not going to rush. And we won't, we're, we're kind of sitting on our hands and we won't know it's a story until it's a story again. Um, but as we kind of turn the page on that uh, for now, do you have any closing thoughts on, on kind of how this week ha- has played out from the Manoa perspective? Things that have, you know, come to you as you, as you sat with it and thought about it a little bit more? This is just so shocking. You know, if you've watched him pitch this year, it's not surprising at this point. But go back two months. This is a guy coming off a third-place finish in the side. And, yes, everybody projected a bit of regression here, obviously, but nothing like this. This is incredibly, incredibly rare. And for the same reasons we talk about still today, 22 years later, how amazing it was that Roy Halladay was sent down to rebuild his delivery. It's because this is so rare. Now, Alec Manoa is not Roy Halladay, different pitchers, different people, way different situation. I don't think they had as fancy of computers back in (laughs) Doc's day, but it's such an interesting story from not just a pitching standpoint, but a human standpoint for somebody who is frankly experiencing failure on the greatest stage. And this is such a unique thing to baseball, I think, where just because of the prospect nature and the minor leagues, where so many prospects come up, and in T-ball, they are the superstar. In high school, they're the star. In the minor leagues or in NCAA baseball in the U.S., they are the best player on the field. To experience failure like this in a baseball sense for the first time, really, in the major leagues is – such a crushing feeling and it has to be a very lonely feeling I think for Alec Manoa so this is going to be a fascinating study on not just pitcher development and baseball development but psychology and how someone can bounce back from this it's going to be fascinating to see how the Blue Jays handle this there's not really a blueprint because the Roy Halladay blueprint is old 22 years is a century in baseball so We'll see how this goes. I don't think we're going to have much progress in the next couple of days. That's not how this is going to work. It's going to be weeks, maybe months. But if it works, what a story. If it doesn't work, yikes. Because I I think that's the part of the conversation I'm on to now, Blake, is now that the big thing has happened, the ball has dropped, it has to work. That's the part of this that's scary because – When you rebuild, when you take a risk like this, it has to work. It's so risky. It's such a big thing to do. And it's easy to say, almost like a rebuilding team. Oh, that's okay. They'll rebuild. Well, you've got to do it. And that's where the Blue Jays are now. This is a pretty delicate situation. Yeah, you got to hope you're the Baltimore Orioles or Houston Astros rebuild and not the never-ending Pittsburgh Pirates rebuild, you know? Um, And this is the thing is, like, you can be positive about it in that, well, no one who's reached the level of Manoa 
has ever dropped off like this. So there is no precedent for him not coming back to that level. But there's also no precedent for him coming. The precedent is zero on either side. Like we had to go back to the 70s to find the last time a guy had a sub three ERA at age 24 or 25 and then had even, you know, an ERA within like a run and a half of Manoa's this year. So um, that element of it is tough. One thing that will develop over the next couple of days, though, is it certainly sounds like and the fact that they haven't needed to go to the bullpen much the last two days suggests they're in a place to continue managing this way. We might see Bowden Francis um, be we'll, we'll call him the starter, whether you want to call it that or, hey, once through the order opener, however you want to phrase it. Bowden Francis is going to pitch at some point over the next couple of days. He was not in the MLB pipeline top 30 in the Blue Jays system over at MLB.com. Uh, I know some prospect lists, like once you hit 27, they just don't include you, even if you're still relatively interesting. Uh, Fangraphs had him at number 17 in the organization. I did a little bit on him on Blue Jays Central yesterday, but I know you're a guy who keeps up with the prospect side of things um, pretty tightly and talks to those MLB pipeline people like Sam Dykstra pretty regularly. Um, what is your expectation for Bowden Francis, um, you know, in, in and his ability to step in and at least give the team a chance on these pseudo bullpen days the next little bit? I, I do like Bowden Francis. Uh, as a pitcher, this is the type of guy that you want to have a few of in AAA. The Blue Jays' depth there is thin. It's a weakness for the entire organization. But if you have two or three Bowden Francis, that keeps you a little more safe. A guy who can right now probably give you four or five innings, but most importantly, a guy who can hopefully limit some walks and pound away with his fastball with some confidence, with more confidence and more regularity than I think we were seeing from that version of Alec Manoa. So for context on Bowden Francis right now, Outside of my top 30, he would probably be in that high 30s range, very roughly, for people to have a a ballpark on him. Now, he is coming off pitching in winter ball this past offseason, which he really enjoyed and and really embraced. And that winter ball experience for young pitchers, whether you are playing in the Dominican, in Puerto Rico, wherever you are, it's such an incredible environment and experience. And Bowden is one who really seemed to wrap his arms around that and learn from big moments. Because in winter ball, you're not down there to get in work. These people care. This is an incredible baseball culture when you're in Latin America. And every game is loud in a way that's much cooler than an MLB stadium, I promise. Hmm. And it's tense. So that's so valuable for a guy like him. Nate Pearson's another great example. Every inning mattered down there, and that helped him. So I think that's going to help Bowden Francis pounding away with the fastball, ideally up in the zone, getting some swings and misses. But his job is to give the Blue Jays, let's say, four innings, a run or two allowed, one walk or less, ideally. They would be very happy with that. You're just not trying to shoot yourself in the foot at this point if you are Bowden Francis, and that means walks. Walks were the big issue for Alec Manoa. That's why his pitch count soared up. That's why he couldn't make it deep into games. Francis is a pitcher who should be able to do that. And I think it lines up well for the Blue Jays. What do we know about Bowden Francis like as a person? Because his Twitter account is like a lot of motivational quotes and like very environmental. He gives kind of like, um, I don't know, like a, a little bit of a, a hippie vibe, which is kind of a cool oh, yeah. element to mix into this team. I know he's a Florida guy as well. Uh, we just talked about how, how much you love Florida. What do we know about Bowden Francis, uh, the person on his way up here? 
Yeah, if, if I was as relaxed as Bowden Francis, I'd live a much better life, I, I think. <laughs> He's, in, in our interactions in spring training, a couple of interviews after his outings there, uh, a very laid-back guy, um, very interesting to talk to, very thoughtful uh, as well. I, I think in one of our post-game interviews in spring training, and this could be what he was wearing, or maybe I was hallucinating from being in Florida <laughs> too long. I think it was a Grateful Dead shirt. And talking about his time playing in winter ball, not just talking about the baseball side, but talking about the types of energy that he was feeling down there, how that made him feel, how he interacted with that. So he is a, a unique young guy, uh, certainly a guy who has some fans within the organization, but uh, no, definitely a unique character. And I think as, as fans get to know him, if they do, if he sticks around, uh, I think they'll they'll enjoy that. It's it's refreshing. Well, he'll have to stick around until Saturday, July 29th, at least. That's the day the Blue Jays are giving away Blue Jays Grateful Dead uh, shirts. Um, so that's Bowden Francis on Saturday. One thing that has put this team in a, a significantly better position for the weekend ahead and to maybe take three out of four in this series against the Astros. You know, you think your starter in the opener, four games set against a team as good as the Astros, defending champs right there with you in the wild card race. Manoa can't get out of the first inning you need eight and two thirds of your bullpen. You're in trouble for this whole series. And then Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett combined to give you 15 terrific innings. And in the case of Bassett, I know you're a beat writer, Keegan. I know you appreciated the two hour efficiency of that game. Um, man, the, the Jays being able to head into this Thursday game with a rested bullpen and the chance to take three or four in this series. Can you say enough about what Gosman and Bassett have done over the last two days? Oh, it's just incredible. And it allows the Blue Jays to go into next time around into that Bowden Francis start and be more aggressive. If it is a Francis or whoever this is, however they piece it together, you can be more aggressive with your bullpen guys, knowing that you have Kevin Gossman and Chris Bassett coming up next, probably getting at least seven innings from one guy, probably getting it from both. And that consistency, I think even with, with experience for myself covering baseball with each passing year, I appreciate consistency more and more. Everybody can come up to the big leagues and hit a home run. Everybody can strike out Mike Trout. It's about doing it every time. And the consistency that Gosman and Bassett come to their jobs with fascinates me. I have so much respect for that because in both cases, they are studied for a decade by opposing hitters. Everybody knows what Kevin Gosman's going to do. He's going to throw you a fastball up, and he's going to throw you a splitter. Everybody knows that Chris Bassett is going to mix and match and maybe not strike out as many guys, but try to get to you with a bunch of pitches. The book is out on them. They're not going out there with a new pitch every day, and they still do this. And it's difficult to describe just how hard that is. Look at Alec Manoa. Unfortunately, he's a case study in this of how hard it is to keep that going in the big leagues year to year. Bassett and Gosman have done that just brilliantly, and their innings pitched as much as the ERA and everything else is so valuable to the team right now. Absolutely, and I mean the efficiency, the the saving the bullpen, the keeping you in positions to win games. There, there's so much good there. The only thing I can take issue with out of all of it is Chris Bassett saying that you know you know him, he'll fight analytics to the death. I, I got to ask. I, I would assume. Look, the analytics people are, are nerds, Keegan. I, I think Kevin Barker on our station calls them the khakis. There aren't a lot of people who can step up and defend the analytics community. But if I, if I be that person, you, you have my back. If I, if I talk to Chris Bassett about this. Yeah. I think analytics needs a better PR team. It certainly my does. God. 
It's and, and yes, it is khakis and quarter zips and <laughs> 700 men having meetings over and over about small things. Yes, the visual of analytics ain't good. But at its very heart, at its very core, analytics means getting a little bit closer to a good solution. It does not mean calculators and a nerd telling a baseball player what to do. That's not what it is. But, uh, yeah, analytics needs a complete PR refresh. It needs a new logo. It needs something. Yeah, I've said this for years. Like, back to, I think it was, like, the 2013 Sloan Analytics Conference I was at. And, like, that was my biggest takeaway. Like, I, I wrote something, I think, for ESPN at the time on the baseball side. And I was doing some basketball stuff. And I was like, man, I, I see, like the comments on this stuff, but it's really just like, it's all branding and how it's been, how it's been presented as like counter to things. It's like, no, it's just like, I, I guarantee also, I mean, not with a hundred percent certainty because I haven't gotten to know him yet, but I'm pretty sure a guy as effective and cerebral as Chris Bassett is using some of what we'd call, we'd classify as analytics as he preps for these starts. Uh, it's just not, it's just more information and different ways uh, to come at things tonight. Jose Brios is going to start over his last 10 outings. He has had one bad start. I think you could call it that one start where he allowed five earned runs. Um, the rest of them have been really, really solid. He's got, I think a two forty eight ERA over that 10 start stretch. When we talk about the reliability of the Gosman Bassett part of the rotation, how close are we to putting Barrios back in that group as well? Because prior to coming to Toronto, Barrios was Mr. Consistency. He was like the most consistent pitcher in baseball over a five-year stretch, um, not only year to year, but like month to month and things like that. Uh, when you look at where Jose Barrios is at, how close are we to talking about Gosman Bassett Barrios instead of Gosman Bassett and then, you know, question mark about Barrios and if he's back? I, I think we should be there, especially if he does it again tonight. And it's happened almost quietly. And I think that requires a, a bigger picture of the Blue Jays. Kevin Gossman has been so good, so we talk about that. Alec Manoa was so bad, so we talk about that. Jose Barrios kind of did what he's done for those first five years you mentioned, which is the same thing. Are they eight shutout innings with 14 strikeouts? No, but it's a lot of six innings, one earned run, five strikeouts, and a walk. That really good start. Not quality start by the definition, but just an actual quality outing. And he's doing that over and over. So, frankly, I need to do a better job of really contextualizing how good he's been because it's kind of snuck up. It's been quiet. And I think that's how he likes it. That's when he's at his best. And his contract, when he signed that extension, I loved it at the time. And I don't believe that you get to rewrite history. I, I can't go back and change that. And the same reasons I loved it at the time, which is his consistency, is finally what we're seeing now. It took a while to get back here, but full credit to Jose because he is someone who really wore his struggles last year. The Blue Jays coaching staff has said that too, that he was as accountable as anyone apologizing to teammates, which he didn't really need to do, but you could see it affecting him and you could see it really wearing on his mind and on his heart last year. Uh, much like Yusei Kikuchi last year, who's had a bit of a turnaround himself. So, Barrios has earned his way back into this. He is earning every dollar of that salary right now, and he's doing it in a very Jose Barrios way, which is exactly what you want. He's such an important stabilizer in that rotation. He's not going to be the ace, not going to strike out 20, but man, does he stabilize the middle of that. And again, going back to this ro organization's rotation depth, which is 
on the side of a milk carton right now. It's just not there. It's so important to have Barrios doing exactly this. Incredibly valuable. And again, full credit to him. He's done this all himself. Uh, Keegan, last one before we let you go here and continue on with your day, get down to the ballpark. Alejandro Kirk comes up with a, a pinch hit go-ahead single last night. It's the 16th time in the last 19 days that he's played, whether it's starting catcher, starting DH, or just pinch hitting and then catching a couple innings after. That is a remarkable workload for any catcher, and, and it's something that we didn't really expect from Alejandro Kirk as he came up. He's also quietly had kind of the best like 10-day stretch he's had at the plate. Um, there's like one exception when, when he he first got hot early in the year, but this is, this is kind of the quietly the best stretch he's had at the dish as well. Um, I, I don't think when you're catching this much and you're carrying this much of a load for the team, uh, I don't even think they would care that much uh, about the numbers that you're putting up. Uh, how huge has it been for this team? And, and I say this as someone who enjoys Tyler Heineman and likes to see him come in and take a walk last night and obviously a good defensive catcher. Um, but the job that Kirk has done carrying so much load with Danny Jansen out. Um, I'd imagine John Schneider and the people around the team just think the world of Alejandro Kirk after these couple weeks, if they didn't already. Yeah. Very timely from Kirk because he was not performing well and you're still waiting for that power to come along because Kirk is a slow player. That's reality. And that's fine. It's part of the package of who he is. So if he's hitting singles, you probably need four more base hits to score him. But, hey, the power will come eventually, the Blue Jays hope. What he's done behind the plate is so important. And you can live with his offense being more singles and walks, which he's still working at an incredible rate. He is good at blocking. He is good at stealing those low pitches. He's really helped out his pitchers, and he's taken on a big workload. Now, the Blue Jays don't want that to continue because he wore down late last year really badly. And that power was what got zapped. So you want Danny Jansen back. You want the 1A, the 1B. But Kirk has done a a really great job this last stretch of stepping in and being the hitter he is, which is putting balls in play and getting on base, just trying to keep that rolling. And is such a unique hitter, one of the most unique hitters in all of Major League Baseball, I think. And is such an important bat to this lineup. It's still, if you've got a runner on third base, one out in a tie game, Kirk is in those top two or three hitters on this team I wanted to play. He's right up there behind Bo Bichette because he can put the ball in play. It's so important, and when you are playing late in the season in a lot of two-to-one, four-to-three games, it's only getting more important. So having him fresh for them is key. Danny Jansen being back probably Tuesday will help that, but over these last couple of weeks, he has passed every test, absolutely. Absolutely. As have you, Keegan Matheson. Uh, appreciate you hey. taking the time out this morning and juggling around the time for us. Uh, keep up the great work, man. You got it, my friend. See you soon. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, of BlueJays.com. You can subscribe to his BlueJays.com newsletter. Get twice a week Keegan's thoughts uh, in your inbox in addition to all his great articles over at BlueJays.com. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Eduardo Perez of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball joins us as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Just talked to Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, BlueJays.com. One of my favorite guests. 
Uh, our next guest, also one of my favorites. I told the story a little earlier about I was down in Cuba during the World Series this year, and I had let Dan Schulman know that I was listening with some people down in Cuba uh, to the ESPN radio broadcast. And game two, first inning, Jordan Alvarez, who is Cuban, hits an RBI double, and Eduardo Perez calls it in Spanish. And then they shout out uh, some of the Cuban listeners I was there with. Eduardo Perez, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball analyst, uh, and also of the leadoff spot on MLB Network Radio. He joins us now. Eduardo, how are you, man? Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to speak Spanish back to you, unfortunately. Uh, I'm good, man. So I uh, I told that story. I told them a little more detail earlier, but thank you for, for doing that during the World Series last year. And I'm curious, you know, um, you your your father, Tony Perez, who was a Hall of Famer, was a Cuban-American. I, I know you grew up in, in Puerto Rico primarily, and you've given back to the Puerto Rican baseball community. You've managed Colombia. Um, how, how much of a part of your baseball journey remains being a part of those different countries where baseball is played and giving back to those places? I'm 100% in. I've always been 100% in. And um, one thing that, I, that um, I've understood and my family has understood ever since for a long time is that without baseball, the Perez family, um, we, we don't know where, where we would be. You know, my uh, Puerto Rico opened the doors up to my father to be able to play winter ball in Puerto Rico. He was able to meet my Cuban mother also in Puerto Rico. And um, my brother and I were raised in Puerto Rico. We were born in Cincinnati, but it all has to do with baseball. And, our goal as a as a family is to understand how important baseball has been to us and to be able to um, extend it to others. And that's one of the main reasons why I've given back to Puerto Rico, why I've given back to Colombia, why um, I continue to give back to the, uh, to the game that I love by explaining it to a lot of people that don't understand it or that are passionate about it and would like them to have a little bit more insight of it and I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by the group of men that I grew up around in Cincinnati in the 70s. And I am still in awe of the young players that play this game at a high level and have a skill set that is second to none in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, you you got to that level as well, and I know this winter you got to. I mean, your your dad got to the level that you got to present him with a Gold Glove Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, your dad, of course, already a, a Hall of Famer, but to be able to have that moment and present your dad with that award, how special uh, to how special was that for you and for your family? Yeah, thanks for asking on that because that that was very emotional for me. Um, I had a teleprompter that I had to read from, and I deviated completely from it. <laughs> and it was just uh, it was emotional to be able to, to to not only be there and present that to my to my father, but to present that to my parents. Most most importantly, you know, everybody knows how great my dad was on the field, but it, it took a village off the field, and my mom was one of the main reasons why my dad was so great. You know, and and that's and she she was not only uh, there for for him, she was there for us, for my brother and I, and uh, to have them both there was really cool. And I'll tell you what other thing was really cool was to get on a commercial flight with both of them. I hadn't done that. I'm talking about in decades, <laughs> and that was cool as well because last time I think I was doing that, there was no TSA. We would just walk to the gate. Let's get in. Make sure you don't forget your shoe. Come on, let's go. 
And uh, so it was a little different. And um, I, I really enjoyed every moment of, of, of having that opportunity. So you mentioned that you, you were born in Cincinnati. And, of course, your dad spent a, a good chunk of years there in the 60s and 70s before actually coming here to Canada uh, to be an expo. And then he ended his career with Cincinnati as well. You went on to play for the Reds, too. Um, how much fun are you having getting to see this version of the Reds team where they're starting to get – certainly they're, they're getting a little bit better, but they also stand out now and last night especially is one of the most fun teams in baseball. Uh, nice for, for you to have a, a kind of a, a relevant Reds team again that, that you can pay some attention to and get to enjoy? Yeah, the, the Will Benson walk-off was awesome. Ellie De La Cruz is going to be an absolute superstar. We all know it, and um, everybody that has seen him knows it. I had a conversation with Pat Kelly, his AAA manager, and Pat Kelly has been around for a long time. And he actually told me, he said, Ed, I had managed four Hall of Famers in my career, and this kid is better than all four. Um, that says a lot. That says a lot about Elliot and Cruz. And um, we just, I just wish him a lot of help because to be able to see a young player, first of all, wear number 44 and play in the infield um, is pretty impressive. Right, and this kid just can do it all right now. And and watching him not only hit that home run, that mammoth home run, but the triple—he can run like a gazelle. It, it's 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 beautiful to watch, and it's great for the game of baseball. It is. It's, it's been so much fun, and of course, the the walk off last night with the very excited uh, celebration when it uh, when it first happened, and then uh, Ellie with the uh, the monster home run for the for the first of his career and yeah that that number 44 has uh has some history to it so so that's a lot of fun um eduardo as part of sunday night baseball you're you're gonna have uh the sunday nighter this week boston red sox at new york yankees this is of course a toronto blue jays show but anything american league east is uh is pretty relevant here both of those teams as good as the american league east has been uh sputtering a little bit the red sox are are so thinned out that they have to turn to matt dermody this week who was a blue jay it feels like 10 years ago uh the yankees have now put aaron judge on the il and nestor cortez on the il um what do you make of obviously the tampa bay rays are, are the tampa bay rays at the top at, at 45 and 19 but how do you see the the rest of this American League East division that's been so good shaking out the next little bit as the Yankees and Red Sox deal with some injuries as the Jays deal with the Alec Manoa situation yeah there's a lot of uncertainty and I think in baseball this year there's a lot of uncertainty because of the balanced schedule a lot of people thought it was going to help teams like the Baltimore Orioles and it has I mean there's 34 uh, there's 37 and 24 this year we've seen what Tampa Bay has done with teams outside of their division, what they've done at home, most importantly. Um, and they've, they've only lost six games at home. They are they're the only team in Major League Baseball uh, besides the Texas Rangers that have not lost double-digit games at home. So that tells you how, how good Tampa Bay has been. They're also beating up teams that are greater than 500. That's for Tampa Bay. But You know, you asked about the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees, the reality is that without Aaron Judge in the lineup, they're just around a 500 team. So you're going to see see them play. If they play against teams that are quality teams, they might struggle a bit. Uh, But they have to play differently. Aaron Boone knows that. He has to manage differently. He has to manage small ball differently. 
last week I was in last Sunday I was in LA and it was the Yankees beating the Dodgers two to one and they did it on two ground ball and uh, the two runs that they scored at the beginning were done on ground ball base hits before and before Volpe hit the home run. Um, they have to manufacture runs, move the runners over. It's not so much about the home run and lean on because Aaron Judge makes Anthony Rizzo better. He makes he makes the rest of the team better that's around him. So those are the things that you have to look at there. Boston Red Sox, they're even 500 right now. A lot of question marks have to do with their bullpen and, and, and their starting staff, and you're right about that. But the good thing uh, – uh, and, and the other bad thing is now you have Chris Sale on on the IL with uh, shoulder inflammation. That's going to hurt them in a major way. Uh, you want it to be able to have them healthy. You wonder how long James Paxton can stay healthy. Uh, so their their staff, their starting staff, is very questionable moving forward. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of questions to answer for both of those teams, and you'll try to answer some of them this Sunday. And actually, it's Yankees-Red Sox again next Sunday on Sunday Night Baseball as well. Uh, so buckle in to, to that series. Uh, I'm curious, Eduardo, uh, the Jays haven't had the Sunday Night Baseball treatment yet, but what have you made uh, of this Blue Jays team that, you know, pretty good overall at 35 and 28, that's normally good enough to, to be in the mix of top divisions or in a wild card race, um, obviously not in the AL East this year. But what are your impressions uh, of the Blue Jays to date. They just need to put it all together. I mean, I look at this team right now and I see I see a team that can definitely compete in October. And I'm not talking about them making the playoffs. I expect them to be uh, in the playoffs. They're too good and too talented not to. Um, that's, that's the truth. You know, the hot start that Matt Chapman had at the beginning. You know that you're going to get production from George Springer and Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Their offense plays. Love that they made the adjustment in the offseason to go get Brandon Belt, to go get Varsho, to go get Kiermaier in center field to make awesome plays. We saw what he did yesterday um, uh, with a great play when Jordan Alvarez hit a line drive at a 17-degree seven, angle shot, a smoke shot right up the middle, and he made a, a sliding play coming in. Um, and that helps. That gives a lot of confidence to the pitching. And speaking of the pitching, the way that Bassett has been able to throw the ball, Berrios is coming along better now. Uh, Kikuchi early on was giving you was giving you good starts. And Kevin Gossman, what he did a couple days ago, you look at, uh, at a rotation that can definitely help. And, and, and let's not forget, you're going to get Hinjin Ryu back at some time. We're looking maybe July after the All-Star break in August. That's like adding a free agent, especially – him being, this being his walk year, he's going to want to finish strong. So, all in all, and I get it, and I get that Alec Manoa has not had a, a great start to the season. Oh, and seven, they sent him back down to Dunedin to work on stuff. Um, am I concerned? I think we all should be concerned as baseball fans with who Alec Manoa is going to be when he comes back. Uh, but one thing that he's never been is a swing and miss pitcher. He has more innings pitched and strikeouts. So it's about being able to execute the slider better, being able to repeat delivery and repeat location better for him to be effective. 
It is, and it's it could potentially be you know a, a long way back for him. But you mentioned Ryu potentially on, on the way back. There, are, there are ways for this team uh, to stay afloat. Eduardo, before we let you go, um, of course, uh, on Blue Jays games here, we get the the pleasure of having Dan Schulman on the call on the TV side. Uh, I know you've worked with Dan uh, a bunch over the years doing ESPN radio stuff. Uh, do you, do you miss our guy Dan or what? Who? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. Are you kidding me? I miss him. I miss him tons. I, I text him once in a while, but you know what? Um, he's where he needs to be right now. And I think you know, being there, it's a luxury for the Toronto Blue Jay fan to be able to listen to Buck Martinez, to be able to listen to Dan Schulman, to be able to get their knowledge and the way and have your own explain it to you. I think it's 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 awesome. I, I enjoy I enjoy every time I work with Dan. I hope it's not the last time that I got to work with Dan, but um, it's, it's, he's a true professional, and I'm very envious of the Toronto Blue Jay fans to be able to listen to those quality of people and voices on a nightly basis, especially in baseball. Well, we really appreciate that and looking forward to listening to your quality voice on Sunday Night Baseball this week, uh, Yankees and Red Sox. Eduardo Perez, thanks so much for taking the time out. Appreciate you guys. Uh, Eduardo Perez of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, analyst for them, uh, also of the leadoff spot on MLB Network Radio, all around good dude. There have been a couple texts in the text line about people's own experience, uh, you know, watching baseball uh, in different countries, different places. Uh, it's it's uh, a lot of fun to hear those stories. Um, Lori in Calgary shared uh, that she was in Puerto Rico in 2004 for the Jays and Expos game. Uh, the stadium, the people, the vibes were epic. That sounds like a, an all-timer of uh, of an experience, Lori. So thank you for uh, for sharing that one. Um, a couple other Text just to, just to clear us out here. Um, Dennis asks if the Jays have considered batting Whit Merrifield leadoff and putting George uh, Springer in more of a run-producing spot. I think the the primary answer to that question is George Springer has been the leadoff hitter for a really long time in his career. He likes that spot, and short of him becoming an absolute disaster at the plate or him telling you he wants out of that slot, I think he's uh, that slot is his. I also wonder a little bit if Whit Merrifield. Obviously, he's been a, an on-base machine so far this year with a 350 OBP. But as a guy who doesn't take a, a ton of walks, um, this organization seems to me like one that that values that skill uh, in the leadoff spot. But it is interesting to have a guy who profiles as more of a, a typical leadoff hitter in you know hitting fifth or sixth some days while George Springer uh, is the top of the lineup. Of course, you you also don't want to take away the the fun George Springer stats of, oh, nobody's hit this many leadoff home runs since this time or, or since this time. Um, there's a really good question as well from from Riley that I'm going to talk about pitching development and what other, other organizations do better. I'm going to pocket that again on you, Riley. Sorry. Uh, I just want to take proper time with that one when we have more than uh, than a minute here. Um, Jerry in Toronto, uh, is, oh, I believe that's about Jordan Romano, not Romero. Um, but he would like, uh, a more established ninth inning closer. I, I don't know that that is, uh, I don't know that that's out there. Um, you know, maybe there's a, a Scott Barlow or Liam Hendricks type or something like that, but Jordan Romano has a 262 career ERA and is, 
really good. It's uh, I, I know that last night wasn't the the best example of that, um, but you know, seventy seven saves, seventy five of them over the last three seasons uh, to just ten blown saves, and, and the ERA being what it is, two eighty eight, big strikeout guy. Uh, you look at some of the component stats underneath, and they're just as strong. I'm a big proponent of you always add to the bullpen, especially the back end with, with swing and miss stuff if you can. Um, but I don't think that's a, a statement on Romano not being a, a very good closer. I think it's a statement on you always need lots of bullpen arms. Uh, Dylan asks about uh, Zach Plesak. Yeah, we've kind of talked about that one. Plesak, Chris Archer, pick your discard pile guy or a free agent guy. I think the Jays need to be looking at all of that stuff um, in terms of, hey, can we get this guy in and see him pitch? Are any of these guys willing to do a start or two at, at Buffalo so we can see what's there? Um, the reality is, you know, those guys are available for a reason. But you also, you know, let's say Bowden Francis gets gets shelled on Saturday, which you hope doesn't happen. But if it does and you have to turn to the next person, um, there is no next person in the system right now. Uh, so you do need to be uh, a little creative. AQ and Markham asks uh, if you if they miss Guriel Jr. in terms of hitting with runners in scoring position. I think you just miss Guriel Jr. because he's a really good baseball player and, and he's having a terrific season. I do think in contrast to that, though, you see the Varsho base running, you see the Varsho defense, um, Varsho started to hit for power a little bit more now. Um, you know, that's a tough trade. That's a, that's probably going to be looked at as a win-win. Uh, and then there was one question wanting Blair and Barker back in the 10 to 12 slot. I cannot give you that, but I can tell you that they're on five to seven uh, every day. They'll be your lead in to Framber Valdez against Jose Brios tonight at seven o'clock as always. And of course you can find their shows and their post game Jays talk in the relevant podcast feeds. Uh, Jays talk plus will be back at 10 AM tomorrow. Uh, so thank you to uh, Tristan filling in behind the glass, Jeff and Jennifer. And thanks to all our guests today. 